and Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the left hand and authority. He will give it to Donald Brown. Donald fights his way. Now balls loose luck and snap. And luck scores. Andrew picked up the fumble and scores. Oladipo to win it. Another one. He got Another it. Another one. Another Oladipo. one. Victor Oladipo has given the Pacers a one Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. I am your host, Sam Sinclair, and with me, as always, is Jake. Jake, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. Enjoyed the Colts win, so excited to discuss it right now. Yep, of course. That's what we're, that's what we're here for. Colts get the victory over the Atlanta Falcons 27-24 to in the Indianapolis Colts home opener. And let's just get right into it, man. The Colts first half, man, that offense was just Running on all cylinders, Jacoby Brissett. I don't think he threw an incompletion until his 17th pass. Uh, he threw a beautiful uh, corner route to Zach Pascal for the touchdown. Beautiful play designed by Reich. I, I remember they ran that a lot last year with Ebron. They had, I think, they had Hines. I think that I think they had Hines go out, and then they had Ebron and Doyle run the run up the seams. And then this time, I think it was Hilton that ran like a some of a skinny post up the middle of the field. And then Zach Pascal was that guy that went to the outside. And, of course, they hit it on against the Jets and they hit it on against Atlanta. So, obviously, that's one of the favorite plays they like to run in the red zone. But Brissett keeps killing it in the red zone, man. I think he's got, what, seven touchdowns now in the red zone and no interceptions? That's big, man. Yeah, it leads the NFL right now. So, what are your thoughts on the the game as a whole? I know the my thoughts – I'll start real fast. I think the offense, they played great overall. And the defense – they did really, really good first half, but I think, you know, going into the second half and those adjustments that Matt Ryan, that offense did, it uh, showed that the defense still needed to tighten up. I mean, the interception they got on, the, I think it was the first drive when they got in the red zone, that was big, but there was not much resistance from the defense in the second half, but thankfully the Colts and the offense stepped up in the second half. They got that key first down late in the game, and Brissett led that touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was it was big. I mean, they've done that all three games now. The offense has led key clutch fourth quarter drives to to be able to put themselves in a position to win the game. So that's becoming a weekly thing that's big for the confidence of Jacoby Brissett in the offense. Yeah, I just think Brissett, and we I keep saying it, man, the poise he's showing in all these games. Like I said, the Chargers game, he led that comeback, got the game into overtime. The Titans game. The, the team was on a low in the second and third quarter, and then the fourth quarter, boom, a touchdown drive. I can only imagine how many touchdown drives they've led in the fourth quarter this season through three games. Yeah, it's been a handful, and that, that's that been his calling card and, and been something that has really impressed me is his poise and his ability to stay calm when things get rough, and he's doing what top-flight quarterbacks need to do and what winning quarterbacks need to do, and that's that's leading his team – down the field and putting them in positions to win games. And, and that's really what we need to ask for from him is to just take care of the ball, have good situational awareness, which was one of my big positives from the game. He continues to just know what he needs to do to keep the play going, not make, dis- not make mistakes 
that cost his team points and drives. And when the play's there, he's making them for the most part. And when the play's not there, he knows when to throw it away or, you know, uh, go down or do what he just do anything he needs to do to make sure that he's not hurting this team as a whole. Yeah. And you think about it. I mean, going when they got in the red zone and had to keep the field goal, I think he threw like three, two or three passes out of the back of the end zone. That's just, that's big to not, you know, try to force a pass in there because uh, you know, obviously he's going to fight for another down. But uh, like you said, his situational aware- awareness has really shown in this first three games of the season. Yeah, it's easy. I mean, he was feeling himself too. I mean, you're, you're rolling, you're driving the ball, doing whatever you want. It's easy to make, to feel like I can make a play here. I can fit this one in here, but he didn't do it. I mean, he, he knew that the play wasn't there. He didn't try to force anything throwing the ball, you know, through the back of the end zone to the outside to make sure that it wasn't going to be turned over. And that was when I kind of highlighted the situational awareness because he did it really all throughout the first half, taking the checks down, check downs when he needed to, did pretty well reading the ball down the field, uh, you know, and, and just making sure, again, that we put points on the board. And that's the key for this offense just continually because you're going to be able to drive in this offensive Reich scheme. As long as we don't turn the ball over, this team's going to put up points. Yeah, we there was a bit of a concern of the lack of explosive plays, and Reich talked about it in the um, in the week coming up to this Atlanta game, and we saw it a little bit. Brissett had that beautiful touch throw to T.Y. Hilton along the sideline that he adjusts to make the play on, and then the deep play, the over route to Eric Ebron. So maybe we're going to start seeing this offense start to get more chunk plays out of the passing game. Yeah, and I mean, again, I think that when you play – lower end defenses are going to be willing to take those plays. But when you have defenses that, you know, can get sacks, can change the game based off of turnovers and all those things, Frank Reich and this offensive staff are going to be completely fine with being able to to nickel and dime teams, wear teams down and just drive the football. Because again, in today's NFL, the yards are going to be there in between the 20s. And you just have to be patient enough as a play caller and as a quarterback to be able to do that to teams. So when you have a team that the first the first three weeks we've seen it with all of these teams, they all have great pass rushers. They all have great defensive lines. And if we let Jacoby Brissett hold the ball and, and force plays, that's when mistakes happen. That's when turnovers happen. And that's why we've only had two turnovers in the first three games. And really, it was really only one because the fumble just kind of slipped out of his hand. But, you know, so really only one legitimate turnover in the first three games. And that's a big reason why there's too much of an emphasis on, oh, this team needs to hit chunk plays. No, this team needs to win. And they're playing teams with talented defensive fronts. They're playing teams that are capable of forcing turnovers. If you put Jacoby Brissett into bad situations, and right now Frank Reich is doing an outstanding job of being patient as a play caller. Jacoby Brissett's being patient as a quarterback and taking what the defense gives them. So I really applaud those guys for doing that because it is real easy to fall in love with the deep ball when you have a guy like Jacoby Brissett who can throw it downfield. You have a guy like T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell who can stretch the defenses. But, you know, they know what they need to do to win these games, and they're executing it very, very well through the first few weeks. And when we play lower-end defenses, you'll see them be more aggressive or teams with less talent up front. You'll see them be more aggressive and willing to hold the ball but right now they want to put their offensive line in good positions. They want to put their quarterback in a good position. And right now that's how they do it, by being patient and driving the ball. There's two points I want to make that I think we should discuss here. The Colts' third down conversion, again, was over 50%. They were 5 of 8. And I think Frank Wright continuously keeps getting Brissett in the offense into third and short situations. I don't think they faced a third down in more than 10, maybe, I think maybe once. I think they had like a third and 15. 
I don't know if they converted it or not. I'm not sure. But I remember that one, the one drive, it was first and 20, and it threw a short pass. We threw two short passes, and it got in the third five somehow. And I was like, wow, how are we doing this? And I think getting us into third and long or third and short has really has really limited what the defense could do to us. Like you said, getting after the passer, defenses can't come after us if we're in third, five, third, four or less. And that's what Frank Wright's done a really good job of. He's made sure that the situational and the downs are, you know, in our favor. And I think Frank Wright needs a lot of credit towards that. And another thing the Colts need a lot of credit for, outside of the eight penalties in Tennessee, they only had four today. I think the Chargers had a bunch week one where the Colts only had, I want to say, three. The Char- the Falcons really, really hurt themselves in the penalty department. They had 16 penalties for 128 yards, and the Colts, on the other hand, only had four penalties. And I think that was just that was really, really massive. I know the Falcons, they really did good in the second half moving the ball. But, man, they kept getting themselves into situations where they had to throw the ball constantly. Yeah, and Frank Reich deserves a ton of credit. He's really come to light as an elite offensive play caller this season. People kind of, you know, shoved him to the side because we had Andrew Luck last year. And a lot of people said, well, you know, anybody can look great with Luck. I, I had conversations with people last year who were really lauding Matt Nagy's ability to play call offense. And I was a guy all last year saying, you know, I feel like Frank Reich is, is an outstanding play caller, probably the best young play caller in the game in terms of coaching experience. And a lot of people say, well, he had Andrew Luck. But I think anyone that watched this team from week to week last year saw that he just did an outstanding job of scheming guys open and putting this offense into good situations. And that's one thing that's really underrated about Frank Reich is across the board in this league, you have coaches that get too greedy, that don't understand the little nuances. Like you said, if it's second and 10, throw a check down underneath, get yourself in that third, in that, in that good third and third down situation, because too too often teams want to avoid the third down. They want to say, listen, it's second and 10. Let's get the ball past the sticks and keep this going. So they try to force plays that aren't there, but he allows his offense to get into those situations because he knows that as a play caller, there is so much he can do on the play sheet in third and five, third and four, to be able to out-scheme the defense. And offenses have such an an advantage in this league that as long as you're in a manageable situation, you put the ball in the playmaker's hands. And and Jacoby deserves the credit for putting the ball where it needs to be for those guys to make plays after the catch. But Reich does a great job of getting the ball into the playmaker's hands so they can then make plays afterwards to be able to get first down. We saw with Ebron on the third and 12 last week. Jacoby Brissett only threw that ball four yards. But... They were schemed in a way where he was one-on-one. He made the play, got past the sticks. We saw it again with Hines today, you know, doing shimmy moves down the field. And a, a lot of that is because of Reich's scheme. So he deserves a ton of credit with understanding the nuances as a play caller of this league and not trying to be too greedy, not trying to do too much, trying to convert second and tens or second 11 into first down and understanding, hey, if I can just keep the down and distance manageable, I'm going to be able to convert that. And time and time again, we have shown that that, that, uh, philosophy works in this offense. Yeah, I just I think a lot of people have been talking just now that Frank Reich should be in the, in the discussion for a coach of the year. And honestly, it's just a shame that he wasn't a coach. Uh, a, he wasn't in the running last year. And I mean, if the Colts go, you know, nine to seven, ten to six, and this offense is a top fifteen offense, I think Frank Reich should definitely be in the consideration for coach of the year. Yeah, I think I think he'll win it this year if they get 10 wins, because a lot of people, you know, dropped us to the bottom in in the division and in the power rankings. And, you know, again, anyone that watches 
realizes now that the offensive success last year wasn't all because of Andrew Luck. I mean, Andrew Luck had a career high in completion percentage. He looked like a different quarterback in terms of his ability to be able to be more consistent. Andrew Luck was always dynamic, but it was just kind of the consistency of him. Yeah, the turnovers were, were still around the same, but I think everyone can say that those turnovers weren't necessarily as damning as they were before. And a lot of that was because Frank Reich put Luck in position, just like he's doing with Brissett this year, of, of making sure that they have high percentage completion throws and not having them hold the ball and enforcing unnecessary turnovers or game-changing turnovers. And that's really been the difference early on this year for Jacoby Brissett, where in the past, he wasn't given these opportunities when he when he started a couple years ago. Now he's in a much, a much simpler offense for quarterbacks. It's a quarterback-friendly offense, and he's reaping the benefits of it. Yeah. I think the offense, I think throughout the whole game, they played good. They had that one drive just in the third quarter that was really meh. But outside of that, they had, I think, they only punted the ball once. I mean, that's insane. To And I know the defense was very loose in the second half, and the Falcons went on a lot of long drives, so the Colts didn't have the ball a lot in the third and fourth quarter. But for the Colts to go on that touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, you know, where they were sitting on the bench, you know, for a while after coming off of a bad drive in the third quarter, that just shows, you know, that just shows what this offense is capable of doing. Yeah, and that's a mark of a good offense. I mean, you know, I talked about uh, on the p- preview show, you know, when a quarterback can, any quarterback can score when they're feeling it. Well, any offense can continue to drive it when they're feeling it. But the Colts only had three plays in the third quarter. It, it's easy for an offense to, after a kind of drought like that, continue those struggles because you have a fresh defense, you have a team that feels like they have momentum and your offense has been thrown out of rhythm and they lost T Y Hilton. So it would have been easy for this team to fold under those kinds of situations, but that's a testament to this coaching staff and a testament to this roster that they came out and scored 10 big points. Even after Hilton went down, they didn't fold. They weren't crumbling. And and I really laud the resiliency of this offense and Frank Reich for being able to keep his guys in check keep the offense running even after the defense really allowed Atlanta to, to bleed out that third quarter and dominate it. Let's talk about that third, fourth quarter from the defensive side. I thought, I just thought that Matt Ryan, the offense, they got, they got going in the second half, really. I mean, and obviously on those long drives, they had a lot of third down conversions and I thought the corners were playing a little bit off. They were playing a little bit too soft of zones. What did you think about that defense in the second half? Cause I thought, I mean, I, I I'll, I'll admit I was a little worried. It, it felt like a lot of, like a Chuck Pagano situation in 2019 when we had a big first half lead and we kind of just let it crumble away slowly. But I thought in the second half of the defense was pretty. I won't, I won't necessarily say soft, but they weren't they weren't dictating tempo or dictating the game like they were in the first half. Well, yeah, and I mean, you, I I think they were soft. I mean, they continuously ran these four, rushing four, dropping back in zones, allowing Atlanta to not have to work for it. And that's really all you can ask for a defense. When you're playing a guy with the caliber of Matt Ryan and you're playing a guy with the caliber of Julio Jones, I mean, listen, sometimes great players are going to make great plays. And the problem that I had is that the Colts didn't make them work for it. They continuously were running curl routes. They were continuously feeding the ball underneath, and we did nothing to adjust. I understand we're up three scores, but we should all know, and our coaching staff needs to understand, that that can be dissipated in the league easily. If you allow those kinds of things to happen, and fortunately the offense was able to be resilient because otherwise we probably would have lost this game. But we need to. I feel like we need to be more aggressive even in those situations. It One drive is one thing. You're up. 
three scores. If you have a soft shell defense and you give up a touchdown drive, you say, okay, that's not working. Let's go back to the drawing board, try to mix it up a little bit. But they didn't do that. It was drive after drive after drive. They allowed Matt Ryan to stand clean in the pocket and just pick them apart. And when you realize that you're not getting home with those front four, then you need to change it up. I understand you don't want to give, you know, too many blitzes. I understand those things, but you can't let a guy keep decimating you like that. You have to do something to change the pace, the tempo of the of the game. And I just don't really feel like Matt Eberflus did enough to be able to do that. I mean, yeah, there's there's blame to go around on this front because ultimately this defense wants to be able to get home with four and drop as many guys back into coverage as possible. So I understand the philosophy of the defense, and it's great when it works. We've seen it work earlier on in the year, but when it's not working, you have to change it up. And that was my biggest frustration in watching Atlanta drive down the field is there was nothing that we changed. If we change things and they continue to beat you up, it's like, okay, listen, they just have it going now. They're just on a rhythm. They're getting their offensive play calling going. Matt Ryan's got hot and all those things. But to continuously do the same thing over and over and over again, that was my biggest frustration. Yeah, I was talking to a friend. I might have said it to you too. I, especially in the third, fourth quarter, I was like, man, our middle of the field defense is not great. And I know the Falcons multiple times on third and long or third third downs, they – we're hit, hitting a couple passes over the middle of the field, and that's the easiest place for a quarterback to throw a completion because it's right in front of you. And I think our defense, especially over the middle of the field, it's got to it's got to step up. Our safeties and our line our linebackers especially have to step up. But I think I'll flip over to a little bit of a positive side. I thought Okariki, Bobby Okariki and Anthony Walker, I thought they played a hell of a job at linebacker today. Especially, I know the Falcons had a couple of long runs from Devontae Freeman, but I mean you. Outside of that, let me pull up the stats real fast. I know Anthony Walker, he had he led the team in tackles. He had 14, and Bobby Okereke was second with eight. I mean, and he had a lot of plays around the line of scrimmage in the running game, and that was something, of course, we were worried about with Okereke is if he can make those plays in the running game. And Okereke, I thought he did a fairly, fairly good job for his first NFL start at Mike Linebacker, even though he wasn't calling plays. Yeah, he had a couple nice plays and, and a nice bounce back game for Walker, who struggled with missed tackles so far this year. So I thought both of those guys stepped up and were admirable, you know, in the loss of, of Darius Leonard. Obviously, you can't replace that guy with one guy, you know, and I, th- those guys weren't necessarily the problem. Although, you know, those guys do help man the middle of the field. But the secondary was just very, very bad in terms of, you know, guys being in the wrong spot. And, you know, obviously we haven't watched the tape on this yet. But, you know, from what I saw on on TV, it was just on the replays. There was just a lot of guys that just weren't, you know, in good positions. You know, on that Julio Jones touchdown, you know, Quincy Wilson needs to get deeper into the end zone. You have somebody already on the boundary. And that was caused because, you know, he kind of joined the other defender in that same zone area. So when you're running zone, a lot of it is, you know, guys being in the right place. And too often the secondary guys were in the wrong place. And it hurts not having an X factor like Malik Hooker in there. But it really wouldn't have mattered because they weren't throwing the ball 40 yards downfield. They were dink and dunking us for 15, 17 yards. And, you know, you had brought up the third and long situations. And that's what really irked me. When you're a defensive play caller, and you get a team in the third and 12, you're, you're, they're at your mercy. You can do a ton of things creatively to be able to throw an offense off. And again, we still elected to rush for and drop the rest of our guys in coverage. We didn't do anything to disguise. We didn't do anything exotic. And that was my biggest problem with the, with the defensive play calling today. Yeah, I didn't notice us blitzing a whole lot in the second half. And I think it's supposed to because 
especially when we're up three scores, I don't see really a whole need. But like you said, if they go down, score a touchdown drive in the second half and they get to a two score game, that's kind of when you have to start, you know, going back to what was successful in the first half um, and getting after Matt Ryan. And I know the Colts didn't register any sacks, but Teray, he had two flash plays I saw back to back where he got into Matt Ryan's face and then he had that one really bad penalty on the uh, passing on the um, roughing the quarterback. But I, I just think that the defense should have blitzed a little bit more in the second half. And I know uh, Kevin Bowens talked about a little bit dictating uh, the action on defense, at least. And I don't think the Colts do that. I don't think it's their scheme really, but the Colts need to do a little bit more, especially when we go into Kansas city in two weeks, we're going to have to dictate, you know, what, what the game is doing on the defensive side, if we're going to be successful against these better NFL teams like the Falcons, like the Chiefs, uh, like the uh, like the Patriots or the Texans or the Saints, teams like those with those elite level quarterbacks. Yeah, and I mean, talking about being up three scores, I mean, and I, I get the situation. You want to try to bleed the clock. You want to try to do those things, but w- against a, an offense as talented as this, you let them get going and you play with fire because it was three scores at first. But when you get down to two scores and then you get down to one score, at what point are you going to say, okay, we need to do something. And maybe it's not within our, our hopes of going into the game. It doesn't maybe follow our philosophy completely, but you saw it last year when this defense started to have more success, they were more aggressive in blitzing. This was kind of like early on in the season when they struggled against Carson Wentz in Philadelphia, it was eerily similar to that where he was just doing whatever he wanted. We're letting these high-caliber quarterbacks just pick us apart. Phillip Rivers did the same thing with Keenan Allen, where they were just able to pick us apart because we're we're running the same thing over and over again. And if you if your guys can get home, that's great. That's what this defense is built to do. That's what they want to do. But when they're not, which we weren't able to do, Terre had a couple flash plays, but all in all, the Falcons' game plan was not impacted by our defensive line. They were pushing our guys up the field. Matt Ryan was consistently able to step up in the pocket and make the throws he wanted. And that was one of my negatives for the game was the defensive interior, again, kind of struggled to get in the face of the quarterback. And so all in all, when your guys are not getting to the quarterback, you have to be more aggressive. It may end up with a big play. It may do that. But, you know, at least your defense isn't going to get worn down over and over and over. That's That may be more demoralizing than a big chunk play down the field because at least you're trying to do something to throw this guy off. We allowed him to stay completely clean and focused in the second half. I mean, he had over 200 yards and two touchdowns in the second half. That's unacceptable. When you have the lead the way we did, you need to try to throw him off. You know they're going to pass. So try to do some things a little more exotic. When they start driving the ball and you say, okay, they figured out our formula here. They're doing things to move the ball. Try to do something to put your defense in better situations so they're not getting beat up out there because obviously our front four wasn't good enough to be able to impact Matt Ryan. So I want to move on to one more point specifically before we get into how the keys of our, how our keys of the game went. Advin Terry, it looks like he's back, man. I know that first kick, that 49-yarder, was a little bit iffy. It was a one a great kick, I didn't think, and it. I mean, it went in the crossbar. It goes in as a make on the stat sheet. But outside of that, the 21-yard field goal he hit and all three extra points, they were right down the middle, and they looked like they could be made from about 40 or 50 yards out. It looks like he's back, man. Yeah, and it makes a make. I mean, I know that 49-yarder hit the upright, uh, but, you know, I mean, maybe mentally that was huge for him saying, hey, I caught a break. You know, this went in, you know, like it's like a shooter. You know, you see one go in and all of a sudden here we go. And that could be the case with Adam Vinatieri. I mean, obviously, if it goes on the other way, then that would have been devastating. But 
you know, he caught a break on that one and it, it allowed him to be able to hit those extra points. He was back home in a controlled environment on a field that he trusts. And I think this kind of shows that there's nothing physically wrong with him. I, I mean, all the extra points were spot on that 21 yarder was spot on. And those were what was concerning to me the first couple of weeks. So maybe it was just a perfect storm situation where he was in a place he had never kicked and in an environment in Tennessee where he's publicly stated he doesn't like kicking or it's tough for him to kick there. And now that he's back home, maybe he can get back in the rhythm of this season and start being the same guy that he's been for us for the last almost 15 years now. And you got to think about it, including this Atlanta game, the Colts next six or next, the next eight games, six of them are at home. And the one they've got two road games in Kansas City and Pittsburgh, so those will be a little bit iffy for Vinatieri, especially with kicking on turf. But you got to think the next six six home games out of the next eight weeks, uh, kicking in good environments like that, that should help out Adam Vinatieri's confidence. Yeah, and once you get kind of in a rhythm, I don't think those kicking outside, I don't think those kind of things will be in his head the way it may have been in week two. I mean, you 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 have a tough game in in L.A week one then you go to a place where you know you don't like kicking in week two so it, it very well could have been just a mental snowball for Vinatieri and now there may be a positive mental snowball to where we do go outside to Kansas City that, that he's just feeling so confident in himself and just feeling normal again to where he's not like oh great I'm back outside you know this is going to be a struggle he's going to have back-to-back weeks at home so I think that getting back into that mental rhythm is really all it's going to be like. Just like a golfer, you know, I think Adam, this was a huge game for Adam to be able to go perfect, put this all behind him, have the crowd and the fan base back behind him. I know he's heard a lot of criticism, you know, outside noise from the, you know, the media. He called out a couple of media guys for spreading rumors. So I know that had to frustrate him and to be able to hear the cheers, be able to see the ball go through the uprights consistently today. I'm really, really happy for him and hope this continues moving forward. So we'll move on to the three keys of success that we had on the show, on the preview show. Uh, one of them was the Colts needed to make sure they didn't give up a lot of chunk plays. Uh, we mentioned that as a thing that Atlanta liked to do, and they did a lot against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Devontae Freeman's longest run was 28 yards, and then Julio Jones had 34. Uh, what we did against Julio, I have no problem with. Julio Jones is probably the best receiver in the game, and I have no problem with him lighting us up. He had eight catches for 128 yards and a touchdown. There's not much you could do against Julio Jones. The guy's 6'5", 220. He's an avatar out there, as Pat McAfee has said. And that that's just not a guy I'm, you know, overly upset about if he goes off against us. But Muhammad Sanu also had a – he also had a uh, catch over 15 yards. And Austin Hooper had a really good game against us, too. He had a 20-yard catch, too. But I thought the Colts did a fairly good job. They, there was, you know, plays here and there. But outside of that, they made sure that the Falcons – had to go on those long drives, and it showed in the third quarter when they had to go on those long drives. But outside of that, they kept the chunk plays to a very minimum. Yeah, they did a good job with the chunk plays. I mean, there was no bomb that that completely flipped the script or flipped the game, and I think that was what I was concerned about. We we really did a great job of containing Calvin Ridley, who had a good game last week. And you know, I think philosophically we may be different in terms of it. it I text you this during the game. It drives me bananas when coaches allow a guy that you know is an all pro to beat you. I would rather have Calvin Ridley beat us. I would rather, but if you have a guy like Julio Jones, bracket coverage if you need him to. I mean, jam two guys on him at the line. I mean, that just that just frustrates me when you allow a guy like that who you know is the catalyst for an offense to be able to just continuously do whatever he wants, get into get into a rhythm, get catches. I mean, there are things you can do, and it's one thing the Patriots are great at. Take away the team's best player. 
So, I mean, that's that's something we differ in a little bit, but I understand what you're saying. You know, just just play good defense across the board. Try not to, you know, get out of position. So it's a double-edged sword. But for me personally, I just hate when when coaches allow a team's best player to go off the way he did. But you, like you said, you have to credit Julio for being such an immense talent. He's an amazing receiver. And the Falcons did what they needed to do in terms of getting him the ball in the second half to get back into this game. Um, but he didn't beat us over the top. They didn't do anything crazy. You know, again, they didn't flip the script. So I was overall happy with that aspect of the defense. Um, you know, so that was a key point that they executed this game. And the second point we mentioned was no costly turnovers. Of course, Colts didn't turn a ball over again for two. That's two of the three games they haven't turned a ball over. So that's a, that's a big, big, you know, plus for the offense. But they also got an interception and will tie this into the second key. The scoring in the red zone. The Colts got that big interception on the first drive. Clayton Gathers' first interception of his career, uh, his five-year career. Um, the Colts outscored the Falcons 24-21 to in the red zone, and that could have been the difference right there, that Clayton Gathers' interception in the first quarter. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was such a huge play. And, you know, I mean, that's that's the NFL in, 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 a, in a phrase right there. It's, it's not beating yourself. And the Colts – have done such a great job of doing that. I mean, they've had they had costly penalties in the first game, which is you know really why they lost. But all, all in all, they've they've kept the turnovers down, they've kept the penalties down, and they're not beating themselves. They're allowing the other teams to beat themselves. And even with you know probably a superior quarterback with a more superior top wide receiver receiving core, um, you know, I mean, they they overall have the advantage in talent probably. But we didn't beat ourselves. We did what we needed to do, and they ultimately made a ton of mistakes in this game. A ridiculous amount of penalties we executed much better than them in the red zone uh we executed better than them overall in terms of not having penalties so that was a huge key to the game and and we absolutely pounded them situationally in terms of which team beat themselves today and obviously because we won we didn't beat ourselves but you never felt like oh we got lucky to get away with this game i felt like from the jump we were under control we were playing very good football well coached football and ultimately that's what won us the game yeah i just thought even even when we got the ball up 27 and 24 with the two, three, or I think it was like four minutes left in the game. I'm like, we got this. I mean, the offense has been the offense outside of that third quarter drive. They, they've been moving the ball really well. And obviously the Colts didn't give the ball back to Matt Ryan. So that was massive. We got that big run from Marlon Mack, but like you said, yeah, the team, the team and Jacoby Brissett, I, I'm going to keep harping on Jacoby Brissett because every week he keeps impressing me. And I think honestly, this is probably his best career game. Throwing for over 300 yards, and he had two touchdowns, of course, in the red zone. But Percent has not has not beat us. Like he he's been playing good enough, and you know that's probably going to be enough for us to win a couple of game, uh, nine or ten games this year. Is Percent is going to be good enough for us to win a game? And if you think about it, really, outside of the first drive, the running game wasn't there as much. So it was relying on Percent to throw the ball. I think he threw for, I think he threw 37 passes on the game. Uh, but I mean, like like you said, the team has not beat itself, and that's what's kept us in the games against these better, better talented teams, probably. Yeah, and I mean to kind of give an example of what what situation we talk about. I mean, you can look at the stats sheet and look at yeah, we we had a lot less penalties, we won the turnover battle. But look at that last drive on the fourth quarter. Grady Jarrett left the game, and Frank Reich, being so situationally adept at coaching ran the ball through Quentin Nelson at that weak point. And then when the play needed to be made, he he threw the ball to his most sure-handed guy, an easy throw, an easy catch, a low, a low chance for that to end up in a turnover or a bad play. 
that's situationally winning the game. And that's what the Colts did. That kind of awareness by Frank Reich to understand, listen, they're missing their all-pro caliber defensive tackle. I'm going to run behind my all-pro at their backup. They did that, and Marlon Mack got a couple nice runs behind Quentin Nelson, um, you know, and obviously the pull that didn't impact with Grady Jarrett being out. But, you know, there still was some plays made there because he understood that. And then, again, to throw it to your most sure-handed player, your veteran tight end on the team, that's just, again, situationally being sound and understanding the weaknesses, understanding the down and distance, understanding the point of the game. And Frank Reich has done such a great job of putting us situationally in positions to succeed. Well, I remember the first play coming back from that drive. That was, you know, right after the touchdown drive. The Colts have been sitting on the sideline. And what does Frank Reich do? There was a stretch run play that hadn't been working. The stretch run hasn't been working. I told I told Cody Felger, my, my good buddy I was texting during the game, I told him, you know, we can't run to the outside against this defense because they are fast at linebacker and fast on defensive line. So, But the Colts, they ran that play action, stretch play, and they hit Eric Ebron on the short crosser and, that had been working all game, and that was the first play call by Frank Reich on that drive, and it got eight yards, and it got the Colts in the second two, and I think I think Marlon Mack ended up getting the first down on that next play off the middle run. But I remember that that run by Mack for, for 26 yards behind Quentin Nelson. I saw Quentin Nelson pull, and I saw no one on the other side, and all I said was, oh, no, because here comes Quentin Nelson. He's about to lay someone out, and Mack did a very good job at – Getting down and making sure he didn't lose the ball. I know Deion Jones, very good linebacker, tried to strip the ball at the very end, and Mac did a very good job to make sure that he didn't get stripped on the play. And like like you said, the situations have been put in our favor, and it really has helped the Indianapolis Colts throughout these first three games. Yeah, and kind of a side note on that stretch run, I thought it was funny when he pulls. You see the respect that Quentin Nelson has built up around the league now. That guy just rolled over. He was not, he made a business decision. He wanted no part of Quentin Nelson's pancake reel and Quentin Nelson still rolled over him. But it was just hilarious to me when you saw that guy coming at Nelson, he just absolutely rolled over. You don't see that. I know a lot of people say, well, he's a DB versus an offensive lineman. But, you know, when you go back on tape, the coaches are going to rip into you for that. So a lot of times you still fight and just take the lick, not against a guy like Quentin Nelson. He has garnered so much respect in this league as just such a physical force that guys aren't even willing to go up one-on-one against him. And it showed in that kind of, in that kind of play. And that was just a funny kind of thing to me to see, you know, this team is gaining respect as a physical team and, and teams are understanding that now. So we'll wrap up with our final thoughts. Jake, give me your final thoughts on the Colts victory over the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I was just overall and really, really impressed by the offense in this game. I think that's going to be kind of the talking point for the next week as we go to play the Raiders. I mean, they were just perfect. I mean, you had talked about it during the game. They were just Frank Wright could do no wrong. Jacoby Brissett could do no wrong. He was putting the ball in perfect places. They were driving the ball. And I just feel like this is such a huge confidence builder for this team moving forward to be able to execute the way they did today. And you're going up against kind of a lighter opponent next week. I think this is a real momentum builder. This is a shift. I mean, because you go one and two, it's a different look because you go up against Kansas City in a couple weeks. But to be able to go two and one, now all of a sudden that gives you a little more buffer. You beat a quality team, and, and it was really led by the offense because the defense kind of, you know, let you down in the second half. And that's one thing. That's That was my only negative 
really moving forward is I, I want to see this defense be more aggressive. I want to see Matt Eberflus do what he did in the second half last year, be more creative, do what he was doing to put this defense in more successful situations last year, take some more chances, be like your head coach. Don't be afraid to give up plays. Don't be afraid to do those things because you were giving them up anyways. So at least try to do the right thing and be aggressive. You lose being aggressive. Don't lose being conservative. And that was my only real sticking point for me negatively but all in all this was a great win against a high quality opponent at home really imposing your will this score was misleading to me because had the defense done a little bit better in terms of tightening up their coverage the Colts would have won by double digits and they did a great job of imposing their will from the start offensively and hopefully we get our captain Darius Leonard back next week and hopefully it's a little bit better outcome but all in all it's great to be two and one Great to come out in front of the home fans. With with this era beginning now, luck is gone. I could not have asked for a better debut for Jacoby Brissett in front of our fans to be able to come out and play one of the most efficient games I've seen since we had Peyton Manning. I mean, that was just such an efficient, perfectly played game by Jacoby. And I'm really happy for him to be able to kind of make his mark as a starter on this team in front of the home fans. It was just a great performance all around. I'm really excited for this team moving forward. After we won and we went to two and one, I think that's the first time since 2013 or 2014, I want to say. Uh, I just thought, man, going two and one, you got the Raiders coming up next week, and I hate to look ahead past the Raiders, of course, because the Raiders will be tough. I think that game will be a lot closer than a lot of people think. But to go two and one, and hypothetical, we beat the Raiders, we take care of business against the Raiders. You go three and one against the can. You go three and one. You go into Kansas City Sunday night game. You never know what's going to happen in Kansas City. Colts could easily be 4-1 and one going into the bye week. And who the hell would have thought that even with Andrew Luck as our quarterback? And even if we go 3-2, and two, we lose to Kansas City in, on Sunday Night Football. Even if we go 3-2 and two in, in a, going into the bye week, that's not terrible, too. I mean, with the quarterbacks we got coming playing up, we got coming up after the bye week. I mean, this the Colts winning this game, beating a very good Atlanta team and taking care of business at home, that's going to set up a really, really good run that the Colts are going to have coming up in the second half of the year. For, for the Indianapolis Colts, and it's going to really set themselves up to win the division, you know, win nine or ten games or even 11 games maybe. But we'll have to see, of course. So thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe. Uh, it's going to be Victory Monday uh, this this week. Uh, of course, the Colts will stay at home. They'll face the Oakland Raiders, as we just mentioned. The game will be at 1 o'clock, of course. It'll be a big game. Uh, make sure we're not going to overlook the Raiders, of course. Uh, we're going to give them a uh, preview game it should be out in the middle of the week so hope you guys listen and enjoy the show and we hope you guys have a good rest of the day